Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to start a do part one of a part two series on what some would call a spiritual warfare. The title of the series is going to be Winning the Invisible War. Winning the Invisible War. And if you can stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hand, and as you stand to your feet, act like it's third down, and you're at the stadium, and your team needs to stop. Amen? You know how we do. Amen? Defense. Defense. We get that energy going, right? Defense. It's popping on the screen. Defense. Well, we want to we wanna hold our Bibles with enthusiasm, knowing that this is the very word of God. It's not uh, a self-help book. It's not uh, mere suggestions. It's God-breathed. It's what God has to say to us about everyday living, and, and it's him revealing himself to us. Amen. So we read it with expectation. We read it with excitement. We read it ready to go. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Today, we're going to really just focus on the first four verses Uh, Next week is going to have a ton of applications, so today is going to be a little more streamlined in order to get our hearts going on this subject. Starting at verse 1. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, the details at least. I was about 11, 12 years old, and I was at a, a worship service. And during the fellowship time of the worship service, there was a, a lady who approached me. And it was just something dark about this woman. And I remember as she approached me, she started to speak into my life and prophesy. And suddenly she grabbed my head and began to pray over me. As she was praying, I felt something isn't right about this. 
I wasn't mature enough to really put my finger on it, but I, I did not feel the presence of peace and the presence of God. To be honest, it felt eerie. I will now uh, look back on it and say that it, almost, it felt demonic. After the moment she prayed for me, I got a splitting headache. A migraine that really just crippled me. For the rest of the service, I was just sitting there as my head began to throb. I remember driving home with this really bad headache and my parents saying, man, you, you don't look good. This does not seem normal. When we got home, my father said, come upstairs to the room. I want to pray for you. He said, when did your head start hurting? And I said, dad, I'll be honest with you. It started hurting after a woman at church prayed for me. He said, what woman? I said, I had never seen her before. She was a, a visitor, and she just spoke into my life and, and just started saying all kind of weird things and, and put her hands on me and began to pray. And he said, describe her. I began to describe the woman. He said, uh-huh. He said, me and the other ministers of the church was talking about that woman. There seemed to be a, a dark presence over her, and we had wondered where she came from and who she was with. He then began to pray for me. And after we prayed, almost in an instant, my migraine left. Now, that wasn't the end of the story. After about a, a minute of, of prayer and, and digging in and, 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 and asking the Lord to, to heal me, once we stopped, all of a sudden we heard a scream from downstairs. It was on my mom. And she screamed, John! And she began to run up the stairs with fury. And she ran into the room and she yelled, someone just kicked in the back door. My father and I, we didn't question her because at the moment that the prayer ended, we had heard a loud boom. My father then went and he became the man of the house. He went to get some reinforcements. My mom kind of stayed upstairs, and I kind of followed a couple feet behind him. He played cop, going around each wall. And then he came to our basement, the back door, and he said, Jamal, come here. You've got to see this. And we looked at the two doors that was there. One was our security door. The security door was still completely locked, both locks. Then we looked at our regular door, and the regular door was locked, still in locks position, both locks, but it had been pushed against the freezer, and it hit the freezer so loud that that bang happened, and, and it made my mother think that someone had kicked in the door. We looked puzzled, because it was the middle of the summer, there was no wind, this door was open. A dent was in our freezer, and there was no sign to how this door could have become open. Now, instantaneously, as I say that story, there's probably a, a two extremes in this room. The first extreme is extreme, like there is some way to explain that without getting spiritual and deep and saying that it was some type of demonic presence that came upon me, some type of spiritual experience. Because that's, that's, that's one extreme, that's one group, especially as Americans, as those who have been exposed to high literature and science. We, we explain everything away and we, we ignore the spiritual realm. 
We try to rationalize it. And then there's the other extreme. There's the other person in the room who's saying, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that extreme is not just saying, yes, I know that there's spiritual warfare, but they see everything that happens that's bad as being a result of a demonic influence, right? The car stops working. And instead of going to AutoZone to check the battery out, they begin to rebuke the battery in the name of Jesus. There's all kind of demons, right? There's battery demons, there's phone demons, there's copier demons. Whenever something goes wrong, it's a demon behind it. We want to protect ourselves, yes, against those extremes, but we also want to acknowledge that there is an invisible reality. And that there is something that is called spiritual warfare. C.S. Lewis has a a great quote in, in talking about these extremes. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Listen, I don't believe in spiritual warfare because or just because of that experience. Probably had eight or ten other supernatural experiences throughout my life that I I just can't explain. Part of that was because of the church that I I grew up in was a more charismatic church that, that really studied spiritual warfare and looked at the Bible from a, a different angle than I think most Baptists do. But that's not why I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe in a spiritual realm. I believe in an invisible realm because the Bible is clear and talks a lot about it. And I declare that some of us, the reason why we are stuck in a spiritual state that we're in, the reason why Satan is walking up our front side and then down our back, The reason why we are not having victory in our homes, victory over sin, victory in our our mission as Christians is because we are ignoring the spiritual reality that there is an invisible reality. Some of us are stuck in apathy. Believing that the Christian life is just coming to church on Sunday and going throughout the week, doing the best we can because we are only seeing one reality, and that is the physical realm. There is a spiritual realm that we cannot ignore. The Bible has a a lot to say about cosmic conflict. When we ignore this cosmic conflict, when we simply turn our head and act like everything that happens is a result of flesh and blood, and that's kind of where we tend to lean as a church. You know, there's an a, a evil trinity. We've got the, the biblical trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but there's an evil trinity, which is the flesh, the world, and Satan. And we as a church, I would probably argue that most of us, we will acknowledge the flesh. We will acknowledge our own weakness and our fallenness and the fact that we are sinners and our uh, a contribution to our brokenness. And we'll probably acknowledge the world, the, the system that is set up, that is before us day in and day out, that is against God. But we're slow to acknowledge the spiritual. 
And we must, because if we ignore it, if we ignore lives will be at stake. If we ignore it, an eternity is at stake. If we ignore it, marriages are at stake. If we just ignore it, our friendships are at stake. If we ignore it, our mission and our ability to reach this community is at stake. We must know how to fight this invisible war. Genesis chapter 2 Genesis chapter 3, we're met by spiritual warfare. Satan appears as a serpent. Job chapter 1, we see this invisible war. Job is brought through trials and tribulations because Satan in a heavenly realm, an invisible realm, goes to God and says, I want him, and if you give him to me, if you just let me cause some pain in his life, I'll make him curse you to your face. We're met... And we see this invisible realm in Daniel chapter 10 as Daniel is fasting and praying and, and, and as he's fasting and praying, an angel Michael is on his way to give him the answer, but God allows him to see in the spiritual realm. And Michael says, listen, the first day that you set your heart to fast, I was on my way to answer your prayer, but I got caught up because there was some, some demons that was trying to get me from getting to you. There is a spiritual realm. There is an invisible war. Do you remember the the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 19 of Elisha? Elisha was a man of God and he was a prophet. And he had a, a young man with him or a servant with him. And the Bible says that the king of Syria came to, to get Elijah because Elijah was messing with his plan. He was trying to figure out, why in the world can we not stump out Israel? It seems like they got a, a, a right foot up on us. And someone said it's because there's a man of God in Israel. His name is Elisha, and, and he, he, he's able to know what's going on in our bedrooms. So the Bible says that they came into Israel and they surrounded Israel. And Elisha and his servant was now surrounded by uh, a foreign army. And the servant is just freaking out. He's just going crazy and he's overwhelmed. He's like, Elijah, we're about to die. Things are going away. And Elijah says these words to him. He says, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, Elijah didn't freak out. Elisha didn't freak out because he was able to see in the spiritual realm. He saw in the natural that there was enemies and they had encamped all around them and they had an assignment for him. But God allowed him to see in the spiritual. He allowed him to see in the invisible realm. And in the invisible realm, there was chariots. There were horsemen. And Elijah's like, I'm not, I'm not about to be overwhelmed with my problem. I'm about to be overwhelmed with my God because in the spiritual realm, There is protection. The Bible speaks a lot about spiritual warfare. And as we are going into this new year, excited about it's 2015, you know, 
And we make up all these slogans. We get excited about the new year. We say stuff like, you know, in 2015, I won't be mean. Or in 2015, I'm going to do my thing. And, And we make up all these slogans. We get all excited. We make all these resolutions. But listen, if you are not prepared for spiritual warfare in 2015, you are not going to make progress in your faith. A new year does not mean new things. And if we are entering into a new year with the same perception as the old year, thinking that everything that happens is a result of flesh and blood and not seeing that there is a real enemy after you, then you will not make progress. It's important that we know that this enemy doesn't just simply dislike you. He hates you. His hatred towards Christians can be seen in the Middle East and seen in areas right now where ISIS are decapitating us. I want you to look at your Bible and look at verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6. This is going to be so important, young woman, so important, young man. So important that you get this principle. It's this. The Christian life is a wrestling match. It is a struggle. It is a fight. Pastor Joel Bowman said this week, uh, this Wednesday, he said, we as Christians are not on a cruise ship. We are on a war vessel. We are at war. Listen to what Paul says. He's finishing up the book of Ephesus. Started by setting the Ephesians' mind on the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ. Now he's going to end by letting them know that there is a war going on. He kept it for the end in order to let them know that everything that I just said, all the blessings that you have in Christ, all the peace that you can have in your marriage from uh, uh, living in the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, all the putting off the old and putting on the new uh, that I talked to you about in Ephesians chapter 4, none of that will come into fruition if you don't realize that there's an enemy that's trying to keep you from getting there. And then in verse 12, he says this, you are in a fight. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, for we do not wrestle. This word wrestle is a picture of hand-in-hand combat. In Ephesus, wrestling was a huge sport. In fact, in in all of the the Greek and and Roman world, it was the the most loved sport. 
when they had their Isthmus games, which was similar to the Olympics and, and different towns, wrestling was the, the one event that would draw more people to any other event. And he's getting their attention. He says, I want you to know that these spiritual realities that we talked about, these spiritual blessings that are promised, they will not happen if you don't know that you are at war. You are in a fight with invisible powers. He says, and these are, of course, demons. He says they are rulers, there are authorities, there are cosmic powers over this present darkness. And he just begins to pile it on against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, there are a lot of demons in the invisible world. The Bible teaches us that these demons were created angels and they fell from heaven when Satan fell choosing to go with Lucifer rather than with God. And now they are an organized army. And their goal is to take out the church and to take as many people to hell as they possibly can. And this verse 12 tells us that we are in a fight against them, that we are wrestling against them. And he says that these demons, they have a far reach. They have an extended reach. They have a a deep reach. He says that there is demonic oppression in the world. They have a grip over leaders. They have a grip over territories. There is a such thing as demonic oppression. Now, I don't believe that this text is necessarily... Verse 12, talking about a a hierarchy of of demons here. I I believe that it's just talking about the far reach of them, that they're everywhere, and they're powerful, and they have authority. In Daniel chapter 10, we do see that there is some some hierarchy there. They are organized, and they are against us. You say, well, I don't believe in demonic oppression. I don't believe in the spiritual realm. Well, how do you explain evil? How do you explain the stuff that you you read in the news? Yes, we're fallen and and yes, we're totally depraved, meaning that uh, our original uh, uh, family, Adam and Eve, because of their sin, that we all are born into sin, shaped by iniquity, and that every part of our being is 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 and it invites sin and invites and invite brokenness. But my goodness, do you see what's going on? This week I read in the newspaper that a mother was decapitated by her own son. by her own son. A man killed his wife and two grown children. How do you explain this? It's a demonic possession. There's a demonic influence. Here's a news clip that I read in the New York Times on uh, January 1st. And you may have read it and heard about it. And this is exactly what it read on the 1st. It said at least 36 people were killed and 47 injured in Shanghai when a crowd stampeded during New Year's celebration. One witness told the local-based news website that the stampede started when people in a building began dropping green pieces of paper that looked like American $100 bills. This is the work of Satan. 
in collaboration with the, the world, in collaboration with the flesh, distracting us to lead us away from what matters most, to just be straight up foolish and stupid. 37 people, 36 people are dead. Because it looked like some American $100 bills was being dropped out of a building. How do you, how do you explain? How do you explain Hitler? How do you explain Stalin? How do you explain ISIS? How do you explain the, the, uh, the, the American uh, trade slave? Slave trade. How, how do you explain that? What, what do you do with your worldview? What does your worldview end you? And it takes me right where the Bible takes, reminds us that there is an evil present that is wicked. If we're going to win this invisible war, the first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge that we have a real enemy. A real invisible enemy. Satan is not a mythical creature. And that's how some of us believe. I've talked to Christians and they talk about him as if he's just some, some mythical preacher or some random energy. It's not what the Bible teaches us. Satan was very real to Jesus. 25 times. In the four Gospels that we have, Jesus refers to Satan. Satan is a created angel. He's a a sheriff. His job was to guard the, the glory of God, and he lusted after power, and he fell as a result of his pride. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, you know what? He was talking to the religious leaders. They were talking about Abraham and their father and their religious tradition. He says, look, I go way back before then. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I said, nah. <laughs> He was kicked out of heaven. And we can learn more about this in Ezekiel chapter 28 in the book of Jude. Just because we don't see him doesn't mean that he is not real. There's a Hungarian doctor named Ignaz Simoes, which I'm sure I said his name wrong, Simoes. Um, who lived from July 1st, 1818, to August 13th, 1865. And for my physicians here, you may be familiar with the story. Um, he is most famous uh, for helping reduce child bed fever. Uh, there was uh, many, many uh, deaths of, of, of mothers who were giving birth, and their, their children was, was catching a, a high fever and, and there really wasn't a consensus on what was happening. Well, this doctor had a theory. And his theory uh, came about as he uh, realized, as he was working in the morgue, working with dead bodies, cadavers. He, he was noticing that a lot of his uh, uh, physicians was also catching a similar fever. They would cut their hand and they'll be working with a dead body and they'll end up with a, a fever. So he came up with a theory that said the reason why so many uh, mothers and so many children are catching this fever is because physicians, who back then were general physicians, they could be working with a dead body one minute, and then they could be delivering a baby in the next minute. 
He concluded that physicians were the cause of this fever because they were not washing their hands and sterilizing their hands in between operations. Now, we in modern world, we're like, how, how did they miss that, right? But there, uh, back then, there wasn't a, a, a consensus of, of, of germs in the way that we have them in the invisible world. So he said, if we, if we wash our hands with chlorine and clean our hands well, and if we go into deliver these babies, maybe there will be a change. And within the first week, there was a drastic change. Whereas 30% of uh, a mother and her children would, would catch the fever before, after the hysteria was put into place, after the first week, only 1% was. Only 1%. Because he took the invisible world serious. He said, I don't know all that's going on, but I know that people are dying. And I know that we're not washing our hands. And I know that once we started washing our hands and cleaning our hands and going back to work, that it was dramatically different. Now, this Hungarian uh, medical doctor then went on to go and to share his theory with other hospitals and to try to get them to wash their hands. And the story goes that he was rejected, probably for one or two reasons. Number one, he was saying and implying that the reason why we are losing people and they are dying is because we're dirty. But the second part is, is because at that time, they refused to believe that something unseen was causing this to happen. What are you saying? This is what I'm saying. I'm saying that many of us are in the state that we are in because we don't believe that we are at war with an invisible enemy. We think that we are wrestling against flesh and blood, and we are not. There's something else at work. There's a puppeteer that's pulling strings. Satan is real. Not only is he real, but he's vicious. He's not playing with you. We got up, came to church this morning, cute, laughing, and we should have joy. But, but as if we're part of a game. This isn't a game. Jesus says that we have a real enemy that is vicious, John 10 and 10. For the thief comes to steal to kill, and to destroy. That does not sound like a fun dance park. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your marriage. He wants to devour your hopes. He wants to devour your belief in Jesus. He wants to kind of rock you to sleep slowly so you can just think that this is life, just pursuing one thing after another thing and kind of just cozying through it. No, he wants to get you. Want to get you off focus. First Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Did you hear that? Your adversary. You have an adversary. I don't have any enemies. You have an enemy. Everybody's, I get along with anybody. No, you don't. And if you do, it's probably because you're on a cruise ship and not a war vessel or a warship. Jesus said, if they hated, if the world hated me, yo, it's going to hate you. 
No, Jesus, I don't know what you mean. I mean, I don't have nobody to hate me. It's kosher. It's good with everybody. Probably means that we're not geared up for warfare. Not only is he real, not only is he vicious, but he's a, it's very strategic. Look at your Bibles. Look what he has to, to say. Verse 11. Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is strategic. He is constantly scheming. Just like we just read, he is like a roaring lion. What does that mean? It means that he is watchful. As a lion waits for his prey to be passive and and to be in la-la land, uh, uh, away from the pack, so is Satan watching you. He's waiting and he knows your weaknesses. He knows where to attack. He knows human nature. There's an acronym called HALT, H-A-L-T, that was taught to me years ago, which really helped me to fight against Satan. HALT, H-A-L-T, H, hungry. (laughs) Satan knows how to get us to do stupid stuff when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, and when we're tired. He's watching. He's watching. He's watching and he knows. He, he knows what buttons to push to get you to fight your coworker and, and lower your witness in the workplace. He knows. I get, I get her with this every week, every Thursday. I'm not even going to switch the day. He knows. He, he knows when you feel insig- insignificant. And knows that if he just makes you feel insignificant by allowing people to forget to call you back or forget to respond to your text message or not speak to you in a way that you want, he knows that that you'll feel insignificant. And when you feel insignificant, you have to now do something to feel significant. And he knows how to bring that person your way with some juicy gossip. So now you've got some information, some intel that no one else has. And you share it so that you can feel more worth. He knows. He knows how to get you depressed. And how to get you down to the point that you start looking back at where you used to be and the fun you used to have when you were in the world. He knows how to get you to become like salt. Salt like like Lot's wife. He knows. He knows that your refuge in a time of trouble is not Jesus, but it's food. He knows how to begin to speak to your spirit about what you really need at this point is a sloppy, juicy burger. It's been a rough day. Make yourself feel good. At least you feel good when you're eating. He knows. And he knows that at that moment that you partake in what seems simple and overeat and satisfy your your flesh, that 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 pasta dish, that that burger is eating and tearing at your spiritual fiber and responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. He knows. He's watching. He's watching you on the couch late at night after hard days of work. The kids are in bed and the wife is asleep and it's just you and a television 
and Cinemax. He knows how to make you commit adultery with Cinemax. And it seems so small, so innocent, but as James chapter 1 says, our desires is taking us further away from God, and when desire breeds, it gets full-blown, it brings forth death, he knows. Like a cow on a conveyor belt, on a chain, constantly going higher and higher up, thinking he's just on a ride, when suddenly that cow is met with violence and killed and slain and taken apart for meat, he knows. The Bible says he is watching. He is watching. Sets us up with a sin, like in boxing, that's the jab. And after he he jabs us and gets us to to bite off the jab, and after we sin, he gives us an uppercut, which is accusation. Look at what you did, you're worthless. How can you call yourself a Christian? And then he comes, just as the uppercut lands, he comes with the right hook, which is condemnation. You know what? You did it because you're not a Christian. And he takes us through the spiral day in and day out, week in and week out. Takes us through the spiral every Sunday where we're frustrated, getting ready to go to church, and we're mad at our spouses. Takes us through the spiral, and it's just constantly taking us away from Jesus. You're in an invisible war. But what's the solution? One point. Verse number 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. What's the solution? It's it's finding your strength in the Lord. says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Fight isn't against human beings. Fight isn't against your mother or mother-in-law. It's a cosmic conflict that is constantly trying to steal your peace. He says, the way you fight this war is not in your own strength. He says, finally, after I said all of this, the way that you're going to be able to do this is if you are strong in the Lord. Notice what he says here. Be strong in the Lord. He doesn't say be solid. Doesn't say be solid in the Lord. Doesn't say be okay in the Lord. Doesn't say just get by in the Lord. He says, be strong in the Lord. That should be our goal this new year. It should be to be strong. But would you consider yourself a, a strong Christian? Well, what do you mean by strong Christian? Do you mean go to church on Sunday? Do you mean give and pay tithes? Do you? Do you mean come to a Bible study every now and then? Is that what you mean by be strong in the Lord? No, be strong in the Lord means cling to him. John 15, abide 
in him. See him as your oxygen mask. See him as your only hope, your only defense, your only way out. See him as a necessity and not a luxury. Be strong. That's active in the Lord. That's passive. That reminds us of Philippians when he tells us to work out our salvation, work our salvation out in the Lord that's active. But knowing that there's a a passive, there's a receiving as we are working out our salvation in the Lord, as we are seeking the Lord, we do it knowing that he is the one who's giving us the power and the desire and the will to do it. Be strong in the Lord. It's a new year's and Every year, you're probably like me, you make a resolution to get in a gym and to get fit. <laughs> shed 10 pounds, right? I shed 10, I pick up five, right? <laughs> then the next year, I'm right back at the same place I was to start. But we have this resolution to be physically fit. No, being strong in the Lord is understanding that physical uh, fitness, it may be profitable, But it's not what is most profitable. What is most profitable is that you and I, that we are strong in Christ. That's what Paul told Timothy for a while. Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He says bodily training, working out, it's of some value. But there is something that is of greater value, and it holds a promise for the present life. It means now you can, you can see some results, and for the life to come. Just finally, brother, be strong in the Lord, not in your own strength. That means you're not walking out of here making a list of resolutions and things that you have to do in order to be strong in him. No, that means that you become dependent on him and weak and say and cry out to the Lord, Abba, Lord, I want to be strong in you. Lord, I want to win at this invisible war. Lord, I am weak. Lord, I am confused. Lord, there's part of my heart that don't believe but help my unbelief. That is why prayer is so important. And that's why in this section, we see Paul closing this section off with prayer. Saying, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How do we find strength? It's by seeking his face. It's by begging him. It's by seeing ourselves as a a helpless child in the arms of a father. It is a picture of of a baby. It's a picture of Josiah playing in the playground. And all of a sudden, a stray dog comes up and he sees this beast and he runs to me and he clings on my leg and I pick him up. And now I see that the dog is harmless. I tell him to go and he looks at the dog and smiles and says, can I pet him? That's spiritual warfare. It's us being a child, seeing this beast coming towards us, seeing Satan attack. But but rather than try to fight him in our own strength, we run to daddy, we cling to his arms, we say, God, take care of him. The Lord rebukes him. And then we say, oh, look at that little, look at the little pussycat. While we're in the father's arms. Be strong in the Lord and the power of of his might. There's a temptation for us to run when things get hot. There's a temptation for us to fight in the flesh when things get hot. She didn't call me back and I ain't gonna call her back. She's gonna need me before I need her watch. 
she thinks she is. You must not know about me. You must not know about me. Be strong in the Lord. And that's what Satan wants. He wants confusion. He wants the flesh to rise up and us to start figuring out and scheming how I can do that. And then when we start scheming, we become just like Satan. We become a strategist for evil. God is looking for someone who's going to hit the floor and pray. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the spirit? It means to pray while depending on the Holy Spirit to provide us with whatever we need. If it's peace, if it's love, if it's joy, it means praying with a heart that says, I want to be obedient to the word of God. To that end, keep alert. Stay up, wake up with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Just pray for yourself, but realize as he shows us in Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4 that we are a part of a body. So don't just pray for yourself, but pray for everyone. And also for me, he says, pray for the preacher, pray for the apostle that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He says, pray that I will be able to preach boldly because when we are preaching and when the word is going forth, warfare is happening. This is an aerial assault on Satan and his kingdom. God is dropping seeds and bombs. Are you praying for your preacher? I don't know, Pastor Jamal just seems a little tired lately, and he just hadn't been quite getting it through. Are you praying? We are at war. Prayer is not, as John Piper says, a cozy, an intercom in a cozy house that you pick up to dial upstairs so a maid can come and give you what you want. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie that you pick up and you say, Lord, I need you. Where are you? Lord, everything's going great, but I just want to check in and let you know that I'm thankful for you. We are not on a cruise ship, Forest Baptist Church. We are on a missile ship, a submarine, and we are at war. Family's being picked off, family by family. Black males are being picked off with poor education. They're making more sales. People in these, right outside these walls, are lost and desperately in need of Jesus. And we're singing Kumbaya. We announce it's time to pray. It's time to get started in a new year to, to engage Satan, to make sure that we, we, we start off letting the Lord know we're desperate for him and we get one-tenth of what we ask for. Fifteen out of 225 people come to start the new year off on prayer. Where, where's the sacrifice? Where, where, where are the Daniels? Where are the Sadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes? Where... Where are the people who are saying, I'm desperate for the Lord? We are desperate for the Lord. We want to baptize more people in 2015 than we did in 2014. Where are the ones who says God can do anything? Where are they? 
Do it, does it feel like you're in combat? Does it feel like you're hand-to-hand warfare right now? Or does it feel like you're hugging someone? One of the greatest tricks of an enemy is, is making a facade that, that, that where, 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 where his uh, enemy believes that everything is okay. And then an ambush comes. The reason he wants us to pursue him and to be strong in him and in his strength and his power, which is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, <laughs> we, are, we are finding our strength in his power. We're standing firm in his power. That is uh, the, the same power that spoke into nothing and created everything. We have a power behind us. That word strength in the Greek is the word that we get dynamite from. We have an explosive a power available to us when we pray and humbly seek the face of the Lord. I don't care where your marriage is. I don't care where your child is. I don't care where what your schooling looks like. I don't care what situation looks bleak and it looks bland and it looks dead. You have the ultimate person on your side and his name is God and he has sent his son into the world to die for your sins and he allowed him to be resurrected from the grave in order that you would have hope that no situation is too bleak no marriage is too gone no relationship or friendship is too broken that God cannot heal so as we walk away you may be tempted to think man we got this invisible warfare and Satan he's too big he's too strong I just want to close with the reading of a couple quick verses Because the Bible says that we can defeat Satan. But we've got to be wise like the angel Michael. Jude chapter 8 verse 9. The Bible says that the angel Michael was confronting Satan. And he didn't confront him with his own words even though he was an angel. He confronted him with Satan the Lord rebuke. Even the angels were smart enough to not fight in their own strength. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You have no reason to be afraid of Satan. You have no reason to be afraid of these authorities and principalities in high places. You have every reason to leave here knowing that you are the victor. 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Right before this verse, he's talking about the Antichrist, who's under the control of Satan. He says, you have no reason to fear them, for you are from God, and you have overcome them. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 through 5. Who is it that overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Son of God? You're an overcomer if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. Satan cannot devour you. He can try. He can confuse you. He can knock you down, but he can't knock you out. Let's close with this one as far as overcomer. Revelation 12, 11. And they have conquered him. Who is the him? It's the dragon. Satan, 
by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even to death. Therefore rejoice heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to you earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Those who have been covered with the blood of the lamb, who knows the word of their testimony, who knows the gospel of Jesus Christ is seen as an overcomer. It's the gospel, it's the message of the cross that gives us victory. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The same rulers, the same authorities that was mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5 was defeated on the cross by Jesus Christ. The war is over. But there's still battles and skirmishes that's still going on. The treaty has been signed and set. We're just waiting for that final word where Jesus resounds from the sky, the sound of a trumpet on a white horse, and he comes back for his and to bring vengeance on those who do not know him. At that moment, every eye who belongs to the Lord will see him in his glory. And the Bible says we will be raptured up in heaven. And we'll be clothed in white linen, which represents the righteousness that we received from Jesus. And that we will be headed to Armageddon for a war to fight against these invisible beings, along with those who align themselves with Satan. But the fight won't last and it won't be long. For the Bible says that our foes will be defeated by the word of God, Jesus simply opening his mouth. That's why we're wearing white linen. Let's long for that day. Let's fight until that day. And let's say to our family, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Let's say over our children, Satan, the Lord rebukes you. Let's say over those relationships that we've given up on and we know we should be reconciled and Satan, the Lord rebukes you. And let's do our part by being peacemakers. Let's pray.